Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Two-Footed Tackle Podcast. I'm your host, Ash Sonatakos. Hope everyone is well. As always, Monday, 13th of November, currently 2.02pm. Um, so a little bit of a later start. Later start? Yeah, I feel like I've started about 1.30 last couple of weeks. But no, it's a later start, but it's right. It should, still should be out Tuesday, 5pm as per. Hope everyone is well, as always. Hope everyone has enjoyed their week since we last spoke. Um, it is coming up towards the end of the year, so uni, school, as well, probably finishing up, work, probably getting get edging ever so closer to that Christmas break, so I'm sure everyone is looking forward to that. Um, and this year I can actually get a Christmas. I say get a Christmas. That sounds really... Sounds really kind of pretentious. It was just that last year, obviously, with the World Cup, um, doing a podcast every day in the during the World Cup. It got to like December twenty third, and I was like, "Oh my god, it's Christmas in two days!" And I have got no idea that I, that that actually was a thing, because I was just focused up in um in doing that whole content. So, um, yeah, still still about a month and a bit away. Um, until until all the festivities kick off. But I hope everyone is well regardless. I hope everyone has enjoyed their week as always. Hope your sporting clubs have won um, across across all sports, across obviously the basketball's back up. Not that I really care all that much. Um, obviously, American sports as well and um, the football, the, the best sport, the best sport uh, is back in the, in the swing of things as always. However, there is an international break. So uh, next week's podcast will be interesting. We'll touch on the international break. Why not? Uh, a couple of friendlies. Is it, is it friendlies or is it um no I think it's also European qualifiers is it I think I think it should be yeah it is European qualifiers so um that's going to be very interesting and of course Australia um I've got a friendly against Bangladesh which we'll touch on the squad for that one um we also have a we also have a friendly scheduled against Palestine but yeah, don't think that's going to happen, um, considering. So, yeah, I'm assuming it's just against the morning of the Bangladesh, and I think that's the one that's being promoted. So, yeah, we'll touch on the squad. Um, we'll touch on all the, all the football happenings that have occurred throughout the last seven days. Of course, Spurs have um, fallen twice, which is very interesting. Um, so, yeah, fallen twice is very interesting. We'll cover that. Chelsea have did a good, have done two goods in a row, which is insane. Um Speak on United because they're in a little bit of a sh- tricky situation. And, of course, all the A-League happenings as well. It was a pretty entertaining week um, of A-League football. So um, a couple of good games, obviously, with a couple of other things as well that have happened, which we'll definitely touch on as well. But before we kick things off, as always, I implore you all to subscribe to the Two Footed Tackle Podcast YouTube channel. Um, for your two, yeah, just subscribe to the Two Footed Tackle Podcast YouTube channel. It's it would mean the world to me. Let's try and try and edge ever so close to, to five hundred subs. I think we're about four fifty ish right now. So um yeah, edge ever so close to five hundred subs. Get halfway to to the thousand. What's the what's a thousand? What's the I don't know. Um and then we can go from there. But yeah, so employee will subscribe, notification bell, and like it of course, and then all the socials two for tackle podcast on TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter, and all the audio platforms two for tackle podcast on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcast, and uh, Spotify, Anchor, Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. That's all the audio platforms. I'm digressing as per. Let's kick things off. Let's start, as we always do, let's hop on a, let's hop on a Boeing 3737, no, 737, or whatever it is, over to England, 
Um, and let's touch on a couple of a couple of interesting things. Now, I want to I want to get my club out of the way first. I want to speak on Chelsea because Chelsea have played two games since we last spoke. Um, as have Spurs, and we'll touch on Spurs as the last two games. Um, yeah, so Chelsea beat Spurs four one last Tuesday, and they have drawn four all in insane circumstances at the bridge uh, this morning. So. Um, let's go, let's start with the game against Spurs. And I want to touch on Chelsea briefly because I want to speak on Spurs in a little bit more depth. Um, yeah, Spurs, uh, Chelsea are, are weird. Like, we're so weird right now because, like, we beat Spurs for what? And on the surface, on the kind of superficial side of things, you beat your arch rivals 4-1 away from home. Unreal. Unreal. Your striker scores a hat-trick, you were 1-0 down, you come back and score four. Superb. Like, Unreal. However, there is far more nuance and a far deeper discussion to be had about that game. And we'll touch on that game as well when we speak on Spurs. But Chelsea can come out of that game happy with the result, happy with the overall outcome, but I think can be disappointed with the performance and disappointed with the way that everything happened. Because, yeah, it was a 4-1 win, which is great. Awesome. 4-1 win. Like I said, terrific. You can't complain. However, it should have been 10 and the only reason why I should have been 10 was because the opposition went down to nine men. You were poor, really poor, like really bad before Spurs went down to 10 men. And it was a really difficult first, what, 20 minutes? When did Palmer score the penalty and subsequently Romero get sent off? It was at first, that was around about the 20th minute, right? Let's just double check. It was the yeah the thirty third minute so first half an hour the first half an hour was tough tough to watch right really tough to watch yeah Chelsea scored and it got ruled out through Sterling for a handball that was probably the only highlight of that first half an hour for Chelsea but apart from that Spurs scored twice one of them was disallowed and it was just so like frustrating because Spurs on the front foot they were dominating possession they were really isolating Chelsea in the areas that they needed to. They were overloading. They were pressing high. They were intricating the way they were moving the ball forward. It was really frustrating. Then Romero gets sent off. Palmer scores a penalty. It's 1-1, and you're thinking, okay, the game is back on. I thought we Chelsea were able to kind of really claw back the game. Once they went down, once Spurs went down to 10, and then once they went down to 9, it was, um, once they went down to 9, it was just try your goddamn hardest to score and we ended up did and we ended up doing so. I'll speak on the high line and Spurs' kind of approach to that game when I speak on Spurs. So yeah. Chelsea one four one disappointing performance, happy with the result. Feel like realistically any other side probably scores seven and really makes a statement, but we just couldn't and didn't, which was a shame. But can't win them all in such in such convincing circumstances. It was we won we won based off the fact that Spurs had nine men. I think that was pretty quite. I think that was quite obvious to see. So um yeah, now let's move on to this morning, which was the complete opposite. Chelsea were good, like good against Man City. Like this is this is what we this is what we've wanted to see from Chelsea. This is what we've wanted to see from Chelsea for ever since Poch came in, right? It was exciting. It was attacking. It was, uh, it was fluid. It was, 
aggressive. It was just really pleasing on the eye, but also really structured and diligent and was effective. Like, it wasn't Hail Mary football. It wasn't, like, football that was just go, 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 forget about the defense. It was go, but then also have a solid defensive structure, being able to win the midfield battle. Like, I think Chelsea ended up having more possession than Man City this morning. Um... If I was to, it wouldn't have been much. It wouldn't have been a much difference. Yeah, it was forty-five to fifty-five percent possession, which is really not that much. Chelsea had more shots, created as many big chances. Like we had what more, more, more shots on. We had one less shot on target. We had equal amount of shots inside the box. Like xg, we xg. Chelsea had more. They had basically three xg to two point eight eight. Like Chelsea were good. Like Chelsea were really, really good and. It was it's it's one of those performances that gives a lot of Chelsea supporters hope because while Chelsea didn't win, while we conceded four, while there are issues that are still very very apparent with this squad, scoring four goals against the best team in the world after being down twice in that game, being able to claw back a point, showing resilience to keep fighting till the very end, it's a very pleasing and calming result for a lot of Chelsea supporters because it's like. We could have rocked up after Harlan scored the penalty and just down tools and lost that game three 0 And I think a lot of fans would have sat there, sat back and thought, you know what, that's probably fair enough, or like that's probably expected. But no, we sh- we showed fight, we showed the ability to pick ourselves up off the canvas and really go for the game, and really pleasing result, really pleasing result. And Cole Palmer is a baller. He is good at football, man. Really, really good at football. He that's going to be a bug. What was it forty million? absolute bargain already and he's only going to get better superb footballer and a player that we can really build our team around because he is just showing everything and some exceptional footballer so yeah really pleasing result when it comes from a Chelsea perspective despite the draw despite you probably wanting to win that game a 4 all draw at the best team in the world or against the best team in the world in which you can see a deflected goal a penalty a header and a really a tap in essentially. We weren't carved open. Like yes, City did have chances. Doku had a good chance. I was saved by Sanchez. I think Haaland had another chance. I was good. That, that was saved by Sanchez in the in the first half. Um, yeah, you, you look at the first goal was a dodgy penalty. Second goal was a header. Third goal was like scrambled over the line. And the fourth goal was a deflection. Whereas you saw Chelsea's goals. What one was granted? One was a header. The other one was we had a header, a penalty, and then Jackson scored a pretty Jackson scored a, a, a well taken finish, which granted was a was a um a putback after the keeper saved it. And the second goal and Sterling was another cup was a cutback as well. So we went punch for punch against City in that aspect, which is really pleasing to say. So yeah, positives from when it comes from the Chelsea perspective, which is good considering we haven't had that many positives or we haven't had many positives at all recently. So that was the first team that has played two games since we last spoke on last episode. And the other team is Tottenham. Let's speak on Tottenham. Now, I've made I've, I've made a conscious effort to not speak about Ange every single week. Because, as much as I really want to, but I did realise it was it's going to get very repetitive. I'll come on here and say, how good is Ange? Tottenham are really good. I told you so, etc, etc. So I kind of made a conscious effort to just not really speak about them every week, just kind of let them go about their thing. And I really did want to start speaking about them again when they started losing because I think the narrative around it is interesting. Obviously, we spoke a little bit on the on the 4-1 loss 
So Chelsea, very, very unfortunate defeat. Like I said, they dominated Chelsea for the first part of the game, right? They just dominated. Before Romero gets sent off, it was going to be a cruisy, cruisy performance, right? Regardless of how much they were going to win by, they were going to win regardless, right? So... I thought once Romero gets off, the, gets sent off, the game changes. Once Van de Ven gets injured, the game changes. And once Madison gets uh, gets injured, the game changes. Three of your best players, three of your most important players, out of that game immediately. You're down to nine men, and I, th- mate, <laughs> mate, you know how when Ange, you know, I, I, I said this constantly. Ange will stick to his guns. Like he said, you don't stop being that Maccas if you're a vegetarian just because you're hungry. You stick to your your ways and you stick to your ideologies. That high line, that high press against Chelsea worked. It worked because we couldn't find a way around it for the for the good portion of the game. And they went for it, and it was a it was a pride thing for Ange. He did not want to he did not want to put his kind of ideologies to one side just to try and salvage a result because that's the normal convention and the footballing convention is when you're down to nine men you sit back you get compact and you flood numbers behind the ball but Andrew's like no fuck this I'm gonna go for it and realistically if Eric Dyer just holds his run for half a second it's 2-2 and if like I think Benton Core had a great chance I think Sun had a great chance if they still created chances because of just how fluid they are going forward but regardless the the 4-1 loss it is what it is the most important part of that game, in my opinion, is the Van de Ven and the Madison injuries. Both will be out until the new year. Both are significant injuries, and it showed in the game against. Um, it showed in the game against. Um, who did they verse? Wolves, right? They obviously we know Romero, but he'll be back next game or in a couple of games. It's straight red, so I don't know how how long he's actually out for. But they had to go with what Davies and Dyer as as the two centre halves, which. Is just a, it's just a catastrophe waiting to happen. Both two players who just aren't, aren't Ange Postecoglou centre backs. They had a, they had obviously Emerson Royale was playing in in, in place of Dogie. A really interesting game to watch because Spurs started well, scored nice and early. Brennan Johnson gets Spurs off and running, and then Wolves started getting a bit more ascendancy into the game. Spurs started to get a little bit more tired, and Wolves. Started getting a foothold in the game. They scored the goal through... Who scored the first, who scored their first goal? Was it... Um, who scored their first goal? Come on. Sarabia scored their first in the 91st minute. And then Lamina with a well-taken finish in the 97th to, to salvage three points or victory from the jaws of defeat for Wolves. Now, Ange, this is something that is going to be really interesting, really interesting to see how it develops. Because... This is the these are the first two losses Ange has suffered as Tottenham boss in competitive fixtures. They've got Villa, they've got Villa at home, Man City away, West Ham at home, Newcastle at home. Four tough games, tough games. You're looking at those next four fixtures and you're thinking, right, okay. So you get you're not going to have Romero is going to miss I think maybe two more of those games, maybe one more. Van de Ven and Madison, right, as well as Adogi, right. Odogi was a, was a second year, so he should be back, I'm pretty sure. But regardless, right? Regardless. It's a going to be very interesting to see. And I can't, and I'm, I'm really intrigued because Ange loves a challenge. Ange is a manager who looks adversity in the face and says, fuck you, right? He doesn't falter. He doesn't cave. He's shown anyway that he doesn't cave. Whether or not, because you just know the English media are going to be on him. They're going to be on him now. You've lost two in a row. Your two best players are out injured. 
the lack of squad depth. You started so well, you can't capitulate. Your Spurs, Spurs, the the Spursy bottle bottle jobs, whatever. It's gonna come back come back to haunt them. The media will be on him. They'll be on his squad. Does he have the bottle to look them in the face and say get fucked and keep going the same way that he's going? I think he does. Right, I think he does. However, I just think your ideologies can only get you so far when the talent isn't there. And that's not his fault because he's had a preseason, right? He's had one preseason, he's had one transfer window in which they had to really get the Harry Kane situation sorted before they could get anything else sorted because Spurs are obviously a team that you need to sell to spend. The only asset that they had to sell that actually had good value was Kane, maybe Son, but they were never going to sell both of them, right? They're only ever going to sell one of them. As soon as Kane goes, then the justification of the signings and allowing and the allowing of more signings to be brought in can happen, right? So he needs another, he needs another full transfer window to get fully his players embedded into his system because Ben Davies is not an Ange Postcoglu centre-back. Eric Dyer is not an Ange Postcoglu centre-back. Players like Hoiberg, I don't see a future for him. I think Benton Core, like he well, made a sub-appearance on the weekends, um, if I am not mistaken. Yeah, he did. I think once he starts to get fully fit again, he can be a really integral player in their system. I just, I just worry because it was the one thing that was going to be the catalyst for Spurs at the end for. It was Van de Ven, Madison, Son, um, and Romero. Those four players. And they've lost two of them to long-term injuries. One of them got suspended. One of them has been suspended. And we don't know how well he's going to be able to integrate back into the team after a couple of weeks out. So I think they'll be okay. And I think we're going to see the natural lull and plateau and maybe a little bit of regression. However, success is not linear. Progression is not linear. You can't expect Ange to start at this level and just continue to go up. He started at this level and it's going to go down and it's going to come back up. It's going to go down, it's going to come back up. But I think eventually it will come to a point where he will get he will get through it and he and we'll see the best out of Ange. What what needs to happen now is the fans need to stick by him and the board need to stick by him. Because the media are going to try and put pressure. The media are going to try and basically assassinate his job. So the fans need to get behind him. The board needs to get behind him and realize, okay, when Van der Ven and Madison are still out with no proper squad depth, this period is going to be tough. We've got four tough games in a row. If we can get through those relatively unharmed, we can get into the new year, we can get into the Christmas break, and we can regroup probably during the January transfer window once we start to get those players back. But the club needs to stay united because we've sh- they showed that with the United squad and with the United club in the first, however, 12 games of the season, we've seen just how good Ange can be. So just because they lose a couple, that that unity can't fall and needs to stay strong, and that's how they get through this inevitably tough patch because it's going to be really interesting because this is the first proper adversity, adversity? adversity that Ange will go... has. This is the first proper adversity, adver, adversity that Ange has and will go through since his time in Japan, because realistically, at in Celtic, at Celtic, there wasn't a lot of there wasn't a lot of bad. It was made majority good, right? So this is going to be the first kind of pitfall that Ange is going to have to face in a while. So it's going to be interesting to see whether or not he can really get, he can really stay grounded and really not let the pressure and the media get to his head to really kick on. 
I think I think he'll be fine. I think Suez will be fine. I think they'll maybe lose a couple of games. I think there's a there's a big reality within there's a big reality that for the next four games, Villa, City, West Ham, and Newcastle, that Spurs only take four points for the next four games. There's a there's a big possibility. Like City always going to be tough. Newcastle's always tough. Villa potential banana skin, the same with West Ham. They're lucky that three of those games are at home and they're lucky that they're two games following that are Forest and Everton, two games which they should win. So I think over the next four, if they can take six points over the next four games, big win. And if they can take 12 points over their next six, minimum, big win as well. Because with your two best players out, it's going to be tough. So yeah, I don't know. I feel like Angie's going to be fine. And I still think they'll finish top four. I definitely still think they'll finish top four. I think they are definitely still good enough, um, as long as they can just ins- as long as they can just maintain, as long as they can just maintain that kind of that unity, unity and that stability that they'll finish off for no dramas. So yeah, I don't know, just one of those things, definitely just one of those things. Overall, I think Spurs will be fine. I think they'll be okay. It's just one of those natural ebbs and flows throughout the season. It this stupidly good win win streak or unbeaten streak was never going to last. Um, and I just I had a feeling that Chelsea were going to win. I don't know. I just had this thing like Andrew's been so good, Tottenham had been so good, Chelsea had been so bad. It was either going to finish five 0 to Spurs or Chelsea were going to win. Um, just the way that Chelsea won was very unfortunate for Spurs. I think you can call it. But um, yeah, just one of those things. But regardless, I am I am digressing. I am digressing once again. Let's move on to. I want to speak on United briefly before we move on to some Australian chat, Australian football chat. United are so weird. Like United are so are so weird because they when have what have been the results for it? So obviously they lost midweek in the Champions League to Copenhagen somehow, right? Just like whatever, right? They. They beat Fulham just last week. They just scraped by Fulham in the 90th minute. They beat Copenhagen, or they lost to Copenhagen, great, and they just scraped past Luton. So, like, like, what are they? What are, are they good? Are they bad? Are they, are they are they needing to rebuild? Are they a good team struggling with injuries? Are they good defensively? Are they bad? Are they a counter-attacking team? Are they a possession-based team? No one knows what United are and where they're going. Like, no one knows. And no one, I think, has any form of answer. Like, has any realm of, we know what they are. Like, we just don't. We just don't. I am struggling hard with United right now. Um, I've got a... My, my, I've got a uh, a, a cousin of mine is a United supporter and a, and a good friend of mine is a United supporter as well. And they... I just as confused as everyone else about why. I think that's the main question. Why is this happening? Because no one knows the cause of it. Is it because, like, sorry, I think a lot of people know the cause, the cause of the stability. Well, the cause of this bad run is because of the instability within the club. However, no one knows how to fix it. No one knows the solution. Is it just get rid of the owners? But what about like Sancho and Anthony and all this shit, right? Do you get rid of Ten Hag? But what about the owners? Do you get rid of the players? But what about, what about, is it Ten Hag is the issue? No one knows. No one knows. And I don't think anyone has any idea what the answer is. So it's just one of those things, isn't it? Where we can sit here and say X, Y, Z about United and sit here and go, 
sit here and say, yeah, sit here and go X, Y, Z about United and how bad they've been. But you don't, like, everyone knows United have been bad. I'm not going to sit here and reinventing the wheel by saying United have been bad. But I want to try and give a different, I want to try and give like an, a kind of reason as to why they're bad, but I don't know. No one knows. So I'm just going to sit here and say United are bad, but everyone knows that United are bad. So like, I don't know. I don't know. I just wanted to, I wanted to express my frustration at how confusing United are because they've got, the next games are what? Everton, Galatasaray, Newcastle, all the way from home. They could win all those games or they could lose all the, all those games. No, I don't know. I don't know. Like they've got Everton um, Monday, 3.30 Australian time in, in uh, 12 day in what? 13 days time, 14 days time, two weeks. I, I don't know. Like, I, I, I genuinely don't know. It's a complete smack down the middle 50-50 game for me because they've shown this season, like, they beat, they, like, they, like, they've had some, they've had some good performances, like, they smacked Palace in the cup, which is good. They beat Brentford, they beat Brentford 2-1, which was an, which is a pretty good performance. But then again, they've got smacked by City in embarrassing fashion. It, to be fair, that four three game against Bayern away from home, that was that, they played okay that game. Like they played okay as a as a game with, which was designed for them to sit back, counter attack, a little bit of a smash and grab job. They played fine. They played they played okay that game. I don't see, I don't think they can sit here and be too disappointed with that performance. The first half against um, Tottenham in, in early in the season, they were really good. But then again, like that's all undone because they got smacked by Arsenal three one, and they got and they beat and they lost to Palace at home in the league, and they got and they lost to Copenhagen and shit like this. Like I don't know, I don't know. They desperately need to beat Galatasaray though. That is something that I can tell you for free, because they're just yeah, they desperately need to beat Galatasaray because they need to at least get Europa, like at least get Europa. They need to still be in Europe. Because they need to have as much success, as much chances at success as possible. So, I don't know what the permutations are for their group. They're one point off second. So realistically, they can still very easily get to the, still very easily get to the next to the round of sixteen. And their last game is Bayern Munich, which on on the surface of things will be like very tough because Bayern Munich are very good and they'll probably lose that game. But Bayern Munich will probably have the top of the group wrapped up. They're they're in a little bit of a um they're in a little bit of a fight for the top of the league in the Bundesliga. Um Bayern Leverkusen are top undefeated. So they don't have the league wrapped up like they normally do. So they could just they could just put out a rotated squad, last game, Old Trafford, seventy thousand people going berserk to try and get them to the next round of the Champions League. Well within the realm of possibility well within the realm of possibility that United win that last game against Bayern Munich. However, in the same vein, that whole situation could be set up for them to win it and they could lose a three 0 and Bayern's seventh choice striker could come on and score a brace. Like Irakunda could just come on and score a brace. Like like you just don't know, you just don't know, and we'll never know until it happens. So I think United, I think United are probably the most watchable team right now in Europe, just because of how unpredictable and how funny they are. Because, like when they, I'm telling you right now, when they beat Fulham, and I didn't really mention this last week, I didn't really mention this last week, but when they beat Fulham, I I was looking at the celebrations, and I was like. Why are you happy? Why are you happy? Like on on like I get it. Your team has just scored in the ninety first minute to win a game after struggling. I get it. It's euphoria. 
but in their, in the heart of hearts of all United supporters, in their heart of hearts, do you reckon they sit back there? Do you reckon they sit and think that was a good result? Because I saw this thing the other day, and I'm digressing a little bit, but I don't care. I saw this thing the other day about the the level of like, I don't really know how to describe it, but it's like the level of contentment regarding, like the level of contentment regarding a situation that you're in. So it's like a spectrum. So if you're on one one of the spectrum being we're over the moon, we're ecstatic, it's brilliant. The other end is terrible, horrible, it's so bad. If you're at the one end of the spectrum where you're over the moon, it's great. You don't need to change, you're fine. You just go about your life, keep doing what you're doing. It's like in a relationship. If you're in a relationship that's brilliant, that's great. Uh, you get treated well, there's respect, there's communication, etc., etc. You're great, you're loving life. Yeah? Nothing needs to change, you just go about your business. You're sweet. If you're in a relationship, or if you're in a situation, if you're in a job that is horrendous, that is terrible, I don't know, like you're in a, you're in a relationship and, I don't know, you can cheat it on or you're in a job and you've got and you, you're being disrespected by your boss or whatever, blah, 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 whatever situation it may be, then you are far more inclined to change and you are far more inclined to do something about it to make that issue fixed, right? If you're in the middle, if you're just plateauing, you don't know what to do because the grass isn't always greener on the other side and you don't really have that motivation to make a change. United... And to, to a certain extent, Chelsea, maybe before the last fortnight, we're, we're sitting, are sitting in this position of, it's not great, so we're not really happy, but it's not horrendous to the point where we need to sack everyone and start again. So we're just sitting in this really no-man's-land area where it's like, okay, we can wait and hopefully things will change, or we can sack people and hope that they'll fix things but in the same vein we can also wait until things get really bad and then make a change and in, in that case you've just wasted six 12 months or however long it takes or you can sit there and sack someone and they could just get even worse so it's a really weird situation for, for united so um yeah i don't know i digress a little bit there but they're just my two cents on united because jesus they're, they're a they're a fascinating football club aren't they really fascinating Okay, let's get on. Let's get back on. Let's get on another jet, private jet. Why not? Get don't need to go through customs and all that. Back down to Australia. So let's speak on a couple of things. I want to speak on the Socceroos squad first. Socceroos squad announced for our friendly against Bangladesh, and I've actually gone to the liberty of bringing up the squad here. How how good's that? I've actually done some production administration work for. For once in this, um, I say for once, I did it before, I just haven't been able to do it. I just have been lazy enough to do it recently. But regardless, I'm digressing. So yes, the 2026 FIFA World Cup second round Asian qualifiers, I assume, I'm going to double check, I assume it's only for the game um, against Bangladesh because I don't think Palestine are in a position to play um, football just based on what's what's happening. Um, yes, it is... It is the squad for Bangladesh, I think. I'm just going to assume it is. Regardless, it's it's the squad for the it's the squad for the um. It's the squad. Oh no, we we do play we do play Palestine. Right, okay. Regardless, we do play Palestine. I'm digressing. We do play Palestine. This is the squad for the two games. Gauchi, Gauchi, Maynard Brewer, Ryan, our three keepers. Great. Beige boss. Beach, Boss, Burgess, Sakadi, Miller, Rao, Suta, Strain, our defenders, Bacchus, Irvine, Luongo, Metcalf, 
Aiden O'Neill as our midfielders, and Borello, Boyle, Duke, Goodwin, McLaren, Sam Silvera, and Cashini, Yenji as the attackers, forwards, whatever. Interesting squad. Really interesting squad. A couple of notable omissions, no Qual and no Irukunda, um, probably the, the big ones in terms of when you're looking at like kids, if you want to like bring up and expose to a World Cup qualification atmosphere. Same with No Robertson, um, who's been playing really well, I think, for his club, by if I'm remembering correctly. But regardless, overall, an okay squad, right? The squad that isn't our full strength by any means, but a squad that is definitely well, definitely good enough to beat both Bangladesh and Palestine. A squad that is. Um, that is different. Obviously, you've got like two keepers who haven't really been in the squad all that much. You've got an attacking front. You've got like a, attackers like in like Silvera and Yenji who aren't mainstays in the squad. Luongo's finally back in in a Socceroos kit, which is awesome. Um, and a couple of defenders as well, which shows a little bit of experimentation. I think it's a good squad. I think it's a fine squad. I think. I think players like McLaren probably don't deserve to be in there just based on the circumstance around it. Like I don't think you need. McLaren in the same way that like you don't need like realistically you don't need Matt Ryan in this squad for example right but he's the captain so you play him, right in the same way in the same vein that you don't really need Harry Suter in this squad because our depth is good enough to win the games that we need to win and win the games we're going to play so you can afford to experiment and expose new players to the team and really build that overall experience but regardless they're in it's fine if I was to go a lineup if I was going to line up, I'd love to see Gauchi play. I don't think he will, just based on just based on the fact that I think Ryan... I don't know. I, I would like to see Gauchi play, but I don't think he would. He's been exceptional for the last couple of weeks. Um, I know he conceded five on the weekend. But um, the game against Victory, he was very good. So, yeah, I think I think we'll go Gauchi in goal. I really want to see Jordi Boss play left-back. Um, I really want to see Jordi Boss play. I think he's a, he's going to be our future left-back for the next 15 years. He's a star. So you got Gauchi. I'd love to see... I reckon he'll just go with Rouse and Suter just to get them ticking over as a, as a partnership. But I'd love to see Sakati play. I think we'll go with Strain at right-back, naturally. Um, Burgess might play, but I, th- I, th- I think it'll be Boss, Rouse, Suter, Strain, especially for the first game. Um, I reckon in midfield, Shimu goes like a midfield, a proper midfield two with like two wingers and like a striker and a centre-forward. I reckon we'll go with Irvine plays... I would love to see Irvine back as Luongo as like a midfield three. I feel like that could be quite good. I don't really think that will happen. I would I'd be interested to see whether or not he plays Adam O'Neill. I don't think he would. Metcalf has been playing quite well for St. Pauli by all reports. So I think he should definitely get some minutes. And up front, I would love to see some experimentation. I'd love to see I'd love to see Yenji and Silvera start both games. Um just to just just to get them exposed to to the kind of to the atmosphere, I think Yenji is definitely capable of doing quite well in these kind of games um, against lesser opposition, especially if he's given the serve, if, especially if he's given the service um, that you think he would get. Considering we're going to dominate possession, we're going to dominate territory, so I don't think that should be a big issue in that regard. Um, Borello, I don't mind. Goodwin, obviously, McLaren, Duke, and Boyle are all. Um, expected to be in the squad, despite whether or not they, despite whether or not they're needed, they're expected to be in the squad. So, um, yeah, overall, overall, happy with the squad. Um, I think they, we need to kind of sit back and we kind of need to sit back and be like, okay, this obviously isn't our full strength squad, and take these, take these performances with a grain of salt, because in the same vein that 
England fans don't England fans are always quite cautious about their really good qualification campaigns for the Euros and the World Cups. We should sit back and think, all right, if if we don't sit here and dominate Bangladesh, if we don't sit here and dominate Palestine, as long as we win, it doesn't really matter all that much because the squad's rotated, and I'm sure Arnold Arnie is going to be experimenting tactically as well. So overall, if we up the squad once again, I think it's a good squad. I think it's fine. Um, yeah, I I think I think it's good. I think it's okay. I don't really have too much more. I don't don't really have too much more to add, apart from the fact that just get the get the six points. Get the qualification, get the qualification campaign, going nice and um, get the, yeah, get the qualification campaign ticking along nice and well. That makes no sense, but just start the qualification campaign well for God's sake. Qualify, we should qualify considering there's what two and a half extra spots for Asian teams. Um, so considering yeah, there's two and a half Asian spots for or two and a half more Asian spots. So there's now what I think six and a half. Um, instead of four and a half, or maybe is there? Yeah, I think there's six and a half instead of four and a half, so two extra. So take the four that qualified automatically last time, which was Japan, South Korea, Saudi Arabia, and Iran. Take Australia, the UAE, Qatar. So one of those miss out. You'd assume we'd be in there, right? At least the playoff positions. So I don't think we're too too worried about that. So yeah. Should be a good, should be an overall good kind of good campaign for the boys. Um, jetting off to Mel, I think our first games are in Melbourne. Um, against is the first game in Melbourne, yeah. Uh, the Thursday, the 16th of November at Amy Park, and then Tuesday, the 21st of November in Kuwait, um, versus Palestine. So, yeah, overall, if I was to give like a few play predictions. I reckon I reckon Yenji scores a goal. Don't know which game it will be, but I reckon Yenji scores a goal, um, which will be good. I love seeing Gauchi start a game, and I think Sakadi probably starts a game as well. I'll be interested to see what he does with the midfield as well, because the midfield is a little bit interesting considering there's no there's not like Robertson or any of these players. So um, yeah, good stuff overall. Should get six points, and if we don't, there's big issues, big big issues. But regardless. That's all I have to say for the Socceroos kind of aspect of it. Um, yeah, that's all I really have to say for the Socceroos aspect of it. Like I said, I would love to say, um, yeah, like I said, should get six points. Um, yeah, should get six points from from both. Out. Should get six points. Jesus Christ. Should get six points from two games. Shouldn't really be a whole lot of drama around it. Just get in, get the wins and get out. Good, good to get some minutes into some of the young players. I love to see Yanji play, like I said. I love to see Silvera play, like I said. Um, Sakari, Boss, Gauchi, really blood this youth and really get them used to a World Cup qualification type atmosphere. Because once we get into the later rounds of qualification, when we start versing Japan and South Korea or Saudi Arabia or Iran, um, they need to have that experience of being in the camp so they can finally produce results on the field so i mean in two years time when we're going to be at the real uh tail end of the qualification campaign our squad's going to look totally different to the one that has been announced today so um yeah overall happy with the squad happy with the inclusions of some of the younger players and hopefully they can get some minutes perform well and we can get six points and start our qualification campaign off with a bang because i don't want to go through any form of drama like what we did last time we had to qualify for a world cup let's just go through automatically no penalties, no no playoffs, just no drama. Just get the job done, please, for God's sake. Okay, let's 
move on. Let's come back to Australia proper and speak about the A-League. Let's speak about Irakunda. Let's speak about Ness. Because Nestor Irakunda to Bayern Munich is confirmed. Oh, this makes me so happy. This makes me so, so happy. Because as much as I had some thoughts about him last week, about what happened with him in the Malvitri game, he is an unbelievable talent. Like, he is so good. It's not even funny. Like, the best ball-striking ability I've seen from a 17-year-old, like, it's freaky. It is freaky how good he is at just hitting a ball so cleanly. He's, while he's tactically still quite quite raw and as a footballer, he's still quite one-dimensional, he's 17 years old. He's going to go to one of the best clubs in Europe, if not the best pound-for-pound club in Europe. He's going to develop, he's going to learn, he's going to be around some world-class footballers all the time. He's got, from all accounts, off the field, he's got a good head on his shoulders. He comes from humble beginnings, so you'd like to think that that can stick with him throughout his career and he can really be grounded and just get the job done and, and don't get ahead, doesn't get ahead of himself, doesn't develop an ego, etc., etc. But um, he's pissed this league. He has dominated this pissy little league for uh, two years, and he's a child. Imagine what he can do to a proper league when he's an adult. Like, it's unreal. And by proper league, I mean a better league. I love the A-League, don't worry. Um, so, yeah, love love that he's going to Bayern. I think it's awesome the, the attention that Australian football is going to get based off this signing. Hopefully, the mainstream media can pick it up and, and hype it as, a feel good, as the feel-good story that it is. Um, and hopefully, a lot of other European clubs can look at the Australian League and be like, you know what? Qual, Tilio, Silvera, Irakunda, four very good, young, talented footballers in the last 12 months have gone on to good sides in Europe Let's go on to Australia and let's scout their talent and see if they can produce anyone half-decent. Or let's say any any of the half-decent players that they can produce and let's try to bring them over to Europe. Because as much as we want Australia, the A-League to be a really, really good league, really, it's probably going to be a feeder league. But that's okay. If the players that we develop are really good, it can be a feeder league because that only improves our... our um, it only improves our... Um, international team, except like, and it only improves the overall stocks that Australian football can get. So, um, yeah, really good finesse. Really happy for him. Hope he smashes it. And I give it two years before he's banging in goals for the for for Bayern in the Bundesliga on a regular on a regular basis because the raw talent is there. It's all up here. It's all up here. And the German German Germany is a very I mean, he's going to be playing alongside Thomas Muller, for God's sake. Like, speak about intelligent footballers, probably one of the most intelligent footballers on the planet, right? So, um, he, yeah, he should be okay. He'll be, he'll be good. He'll be, he'll be good for them. Um, I don't see any dramas. I don't see any dramas surrounding this. And um, it's what five million or whatever it is, a bargain, absolute bargain. If he was Brazilian or Argentinian, he'd be going for thirty. So, um, yeah, Adelaide can be can be a bit stiff. But um, I guess it's just the, the the sake of him being Australian doesn't really help anyone. But yeah, just one of those things, isn't it? Uh, you can't really complain because he's gone and they're going to get a good transfer fee and it's a good, positive thing for Australian football. Shame we're losing him because he's so good and he brings so many eyes to the product. But hopefully the younger kids can kind of look up to him and be like, you know what, if he's doing this at 17, why can't I do this type of thing? So yeah, only positive stuff for, only positive stuff for Irukunda. So um. Yeah, can't complain in the slightest. So yeah, let's move on and speak briefly on the A-League. Um, let's speak briefly on the A-League for this weekend. Um, Sydney do sack their coach. I spoke about it last week, whether or not they should sack him. They should sack Safe Karika. They ended up sacking him 
they ended up sacking him after I recorded, but before the podcast came out, which is just awesome. So on Tuesday morning, they sacked him, so I had to quickly change some of the titles to um, should they sack him to is sacked. But um, I'll give my thoughts. I think like I think all my thoughts uh, echoed based on last week's pod. Probably the justified decision in sacking him. Wasn't good enough, wasn't performing, and has been there long enough to show that time has run out. And um, it's just a natural progression, I think, for the club. Um, Ufak Talai has come in. Once again, natural replacement. Was it, was a was a assistant coach, assistant manager to, to Karika, has gone on to prove himself as a competent manager in the A-League, has come back, and is, I think it's a fine signing. A fine managerial appointment. Tactically, is it ideal? Probably not. They could have probably gone a little bit more experimental with some of the tactical uh, approaches to managers. But as an overall club fit, I think it's good. And I think a lot of Sydney supporters are very content with it as well, which is probably one of the main things as well. Um, they showed up to Cooper Stadium and absolutely dominated. Unreal performance. So, so good for, from um, them. 5-0 was a 4-0 in the first half. Fabio scored within the first 10 seconds of the second half to make a 5. Unreal. Really good performance. Um, yeah, the, the youth that they brought in, they were very good. Uh, the experienced heads like Mack and Lolly were very good. Yeah, overall, solid performance from Sydney. And hopefully for their sake, this can be the catalyst to really kick them on this season because they've been poor and they have the talent there to do something quite good. So, yeah. Good stuff for them. As a victory supporter, I hate it, but it is one of those things. Um, I want to speak on City versus MacArthur. Insane game. Insane kind of, was it 3-1, 90th minute, then McLaren scores, and then Antonio scores a penalty. Was it McLaren scored? Yeah. Um, and then Antonio scores a penalty. 3-0, insane. Um, absolutely insane. Another one of those peak A-League moments. I think Joey Lynch, who's a quite well-renowned A-League journalist tweeted MacArthur at top of the league for the first time in their history or something or something along those lines and um they ended up <laughs> copping two goals in the 90th minute and losing the game which is um just just so funny so um yeah here's one of those things and I also want to speak briefly on VAR because VAR in the league sucks like it's terrible like there was there was a couple of decisions on the weekend especially in the victory Wellington game but across the weekend which were absolutely fucking appalling. Like, VAR sucks. I've said it countless times before, but I feel like in the A-League in particular, it's even worse because it just sucks all the atmosphere, all the life, all the momentum out of every game. And 90% of the time, they get the decisions wrong anyway. So, like, these this technology is there to get correct decisions, and nine times out of ten, the decisions that they make are wrong. And they take five minutes to get to the wrong decision. Like, I just don't get it. I just don't get it. And, I mean, I was there at the Victory Wellington game. And some of the VAR decisions, we had no idea what was happening in the stadium. Like, we just had to guess. There was no transparency. There was no communication. The referee just stood there with his finger to his ear saying, I'm checking something. And no one in the stadium knew what he was checking. Like... Come on, it's it's not good enough, and I'm shouting for the rooftops again. Nothing's going to change, but I don't know. It's just another thing that is, yeah, I don't know. It's just so frustrating, just so frustrating, because as fans, we deserve to know what's going on, and when 10,000-plus people in a stadium don't know what's happening to the thing that they bought tickets to go and watch, there's a problem behind that, surely, right? Just not good enough. 
but it's not going to change. So what's the point in screaming and crying about it, hey? But yeah, one of those things. Anyways, I think that is enough for today's podcast. Thank you all very much for sticking around. If you have, it does mean the world to it does mean the world to to me. So yes, thank you all very much for sticking around. If you have, make sure you subscribe to Two Foot Tackle Podcast as always. Um, Two Foot Tackle Podcast on TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter for your Two Foot Tackle podcasting needs. A- uh, Spotify, Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts as well for all your for all the audio platforms as well. International break, so we'll be back next week speaking about some international football and some other tidbits that have occurred around the world of football. Um, hopefully, Greece can beat France. Um, on Wednesday, I'll speak about that a little bit more um, next week in Australia. Of course, play the two games against Palestine and Bangladesh. So yeah, see you guys next week. Thank you very much for sticking around. If you have, stay well, stay safe. Go Socceroos. See you guys next week. Goodbye.